I want to continue this week looking at some truths from the epistles of Peter. And we kind of started off looking at Peter at that thought of living hope and how Christ desires us to have that living hope to be birthed within us, that we dwell in it, that we're receiving life. And, of course, that causes a work to be done within us, that we're purified like the that beautiful gold tried in the fire. But it's a beautiful work done through that living hope. But there's a parallel truth that Peter presents to us in the next chapter that I wanted to look at with you. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. It says, you know, speaking of the Lord, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, you also as lively stones, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. And so in chapter 1, we were presented with that concept of a living hope. But now in chapter 2, we're called to be like Christ, who was that living stone, and we're called unto that same place to be living stones built upon and lining up to the chief cornerstone. And it, it's kind of revealing a picture of how we are to work together because we're called to be living stones built up to a spiritual house or a temple. We're called to be fitted together as these living stones. And you know, God desires to build a temple made up of us. We are the building material, right? Which is kind of a different way to look at, at our lives here on this earth, but yet we're we're being prepared and we're fashioned, you know, kind of like the temple of old, of Solomon's temple. None of the stones were were worked on at the temple site. It was all off-site. That's what this life is. We're off-site being worked on and shaped and transformed, and then we'll be taken to the site and we'll all be fitted together. It's amazing to think how we're going to be all fitted together, but we'll do that because it's the work of Christ. And so God wants to do that. You know, when Christ was upon earth, Herod's temple was still being built. And it was a pretty marvelous structure from historical accounts. I mean, it was magnificent of the expense and the, all of the, the structural aspects, the architectural aspects were quite beautiful. But, you know, Jesus made it a point to talk about the fact that it wouldn't last, that it, it was basically doomed right? For, because its time was was limited. He wasn't impressed by the beauty because he had come to build something more beautiful. He'd come to build something in us, a house that he could dwell in. A verse in Ephesians 2, verse 19, speaks to us of this. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So God's building his house. 
He's building his structure that he wants to dwell in. The material he's using is each of our lives. So that, as it says, we can be fitly framed together, perfectly joined. Sometimes when I do carpentry work, it's not fitly framed together. There can be a a gap or a seam, and i got to get the wood putty out and fill that and sand it. and uh, That's okay. But when God works... He wants to make us perfectly joined together with him. That's his desire. And he's more than able to do it because he is developing and building a beautiful and glorious temple in his people. And so we say, do it, Lord. Do that work in us. Now, I was kind of, I was considering this this thought, this phrase, living stones, and when you think about that, that's kind of something to, you know, because initially it doesn't really seem like those two words should be put together because it's hard to think of something more dead than a rock, right? It can, is there something more dead than a rock than we can think of? I have trouble imagining something, all right? It's one of the most abundant sources in the universe, right? There's rocks everywhere, but they're all dead, We'd be hard-pressed to find one that's alive. But the Lord is saying, I'm making you as living stones. Well, only God can do that. But, you know, it's a picture of the work God wants to do in our lives. He's going to take us as this dead, rough, not very pretty-looking object. You know, I don't pick up a lot of stones saying, oh, that's so pretty. Well, there are some stones that naturally look nice, but not many. But God takes that natural material and he makes something beautiful out, out of it. He can bring life into something that's dead. It's like it, like he said in, in Luke 19. Remember when all of his followers were crying out, Hosanna in the highest, proclaiming him as the Messiah. And the Pharisees said, you should stop that. That's heresy. Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied in, in Luke 19 and verse 40, he said, well, I tell you that if, if these hold their peace, then the stones will cry out, praising the Messiah. You know, And so if the disciples cease, cease to praise him, he could cause life to spring forth from the rocks on the ground or the sides of the hill, and they would start singing the praises unto God because he can bring life where he chooses to bring it. And so we have a wonderful opportunity as those who are pieces of rock for God to work in us and to bring his life into us, to become a part of his building as living stones and receive his life for the sole purpose of praising his name. And so this phrase, in this phrase, living stones, we see that contrast. There's like a duality in it, right? Because a stone is something that's hard, not easily moved or shaped, Right? But then there's life, a living stone. There's, you know, kind of represented by the flesh, something alive. And so it's a picture of what God wants to do in us. Right? We kind of see this duality in other places in Scripture. Matthew ten sixteen is an example. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now we see that contrast that you think, oh, that, those two don't really mix, do they? Now, not 
not necessarily the sheep and the wolves. They, they don't mix at all, right? But in, in one sense, the serpents and the doves, God's telling us to be like both of them. It's like, we have to be like a serpent? Well, he says, wise as serpents. But, you know, there's a certain characteristic that we're to fulfill in both of those. We're to be harmless as doves. We're to be meek and humble in, in how we relate to other people. But also, we're not to be without wisdom. We're not to be easily fooled or easily duped into following the ways of the world. We're to be wise and cunning to avoid danger. Jesus showed this same duality, you could say, of two different sides towards those who proclaim themselves holy, yet were opposing him. He could be pretty blunt at times, right? He could just share the truth, not in name-calling, but in revealing their true spiritual condition. He would open people's eyes to see. And he had some names that he would usually call them, you know, hypocrites, foolish, blind, vipers, right? And so here he was revealing the true nature of those who were opposing the work of God. But yet toward the sinners and the brokenhearted, he could be so soft, to those who deserve judgment, he could show mercy. We also are to have this duality. We are to have this dual nature of, uh, you could say, of Christ and following him. We're to be like stones in that sense of we are to be shaped to align to the cornerstone and to be a part of the unmovable structure of his temple, displaying his beauty showing his truth, but towards others, we are to have a heart of flesh. Now, one thing we realize from the illustrations of these stones being built up to be a part of Christ's temple is that they, were, they didn't just spring out of the ground that way, right? They had to be shaped. They had to be moved. And I've seen some videos of people walking through some of the quarries in Jerusalem. In fact, there's a, there's a kind of a hidden quarry right in the old city, that, that they show people sometimes that that's where they carved some of the stone for the temple and they brought it out and put it there. And, you know, it had to be shaped. It had to be worked on. There's a transformation that has to take place. And I, one of the, in our trip to Jerusalem, one of the most impressive sights was going down into these excavated tunnels and seeing some of the foundation stones. Those are the only things left. There's a few foundation stones from the time of Herod and and, you know, it, just how they shaped them and worked them and placed them there. They were actually laid by priests because they were the only ones they considered holy enough to work on the Temple Mount. And so they taught the priests how to uh, work with stones and, and trained them as builders and so forth and moving them. They still don't know how they did that today. But, um, but you know, they were all shaped and cut and carved in order to be a part of that foundation. And as believers, each of us has a calling to be a part. And yet we have to submit to that process of being shaped into his living stones, being carved and worked on. And sometimes it takes some sharp blows of the hammer. Or it takes some sawing or some polishing for us to line up perfectly with him. And so God wants to work within us so that we fit exactly it's terrible when you see, well, when you look at my handiwork, sometimes not everything lines up perfectly. And I have to go back and spend a lot of time fixing that. But 
But the Lord is a master builder. And he, if we'll give our lives to him, he will line us up perfectly with him to be a part of his glorious temple. But there's that thought of hardness, right? That we are to be hard like a stone. And one of the qualities of stone is that it can bear a lot of weight. It can deal with a lot of pressure and it's not moved. And there's an aspect in our lives that we have to have that hardness of stone. In Isaiah 50, it's speaking prophetically of Christ and talks about the anointing that was upon him, how he could speak a word in season and all the opposition he would face. And it says this in Isaiah 50 and verse 7. It says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Now, Jesus knew he had some difficult things to do. He was going to have some opposition, but he said, I've set my face like a flint, like a stone, so that I can fulfill the will of my Father. Anything that was seeking to turn him out of the way, he faced it with that face of flint and stone. Nothing was going to turn him and deflect him. And so God is calling us to have that same characteristic towards anything that will move us out of alignment with the cornerstone. You know, we can think of that, go back to that thought of going backwards or giving up, you know, or, or temptation. All of those things that can try to get us out of alignment with God and following him in his ways. Christ wants to make us like a flint towards those things. Now, we're going to face those things, right? We'll still have those feelings of discouragement and so forth, but God can empower us so that when we come to that place of decision, what am I going to do about this? He can strengthen us so that we can be like that living stone. We're alive. We have feelings, but yet he's made us into a stone in his temple so that nothing can push us out of his way. And we endure And we keep that singleness of purpose of aligning to the cornerstone. Now, the thing that the Lord was quickening me concerning this was from the life of David in in Psalm 27. You know, David had a lot of opposition. He had a lot of people pushing him out of the way or seeking to stop God using him or so forth or, or anything you can think of in his life where he had opposition. And You know, he says this in Psalm 27, and this is a very familiar verse. You can probably all quote it. One thing have I desired of the Lord, Psalm 27, 4, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. You know, David had a lot of enemies without, and he had a few enemies within, right, in his own heart. Sometimes he was his own worst enemy. But yet in the midst of that, he said, I have a single eye. I have a single desire. And that's what's going to keep me. That's what's going to preserve me. There's only one thing I'm seeking after. And, you know, in, in saying that, we realize that there was another part to this is David had to be, he had to be hard. Towards those who were opposing him, he had said, no, I'm going to stand. He had to be ruthless in a sense towards even things in his own life, desires and so forth, towards anything that would stand in between him and beholding 
the beauty of the Lord and inquiring in his temple. That's where we have to be wise and ruthless, uncaring, you know, about as a serpent, about anything that will keep us from following God. That if there is something that's opposing us, if it's within our heart, we remove it. If it's without, we stand against it and keep going. You know, there's always going to be things that crop up in our life, inconveniences, hard choices, even high prices that we have to pay to follow God. And there's a part of us that has to be like a flint, that has to be transformed into that living stone that, you know, that's not going to stop me from following Jesus. Or God, don't let it stop me from following you. You know, this is the desire that I have. And sometimes it's, it's recognizing those desires and, and saying, okay, Lord, this has to be removed. And I have to be ruthless in removing this thing. And, you know, like Jesus said, if, if your hand offends you, remove it. Cast it away. If your eye offends you, remove it. It's better to enter into eternity lacking those things than to go into hell having them. But yet, there you are for eternity. And so there's that that need to become like that flint, that living stone, opposing what or against whatever will oppose us in following God. But then there's the other side. We have to be hard and we have to be softies at the same time. And so that's a that's another aspect of, of being a living stone to have that soft heart of flesh. We have to be hard towards our old nature but we have to be soft towards others. And that's the promise of the new covenant. Thank God for this promise. Ezekiel 36, 26. His promise is, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. Take away the stony heart. And that's where it gets confusing. Well, wait a minute. You're going to take the stone out, but you want me to be a stone. But that's where we have to make the distinction of what we have to be a stone towards. Towards others, we have to have a heart of flesh. And, and you know, the thing is, is we start off reversed. <laughs> we, have, we have a soft heart towards the, <laughs> what we don't. We have a hard heart towards who we're supposed to be soft. And so God is taking our whole life is basically switching those out. But that's the promise of God, to remove the hardness from our nature towards others and make us soft and give us a heart of stone towards sin and towards anything that will keep us from following him. Another Psalm of David, you know, speaking about being transformed to have a soft heart. He says this in Psalm 18 and verse 35. He says, you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. I still think about that verse every once in a while were about the greatness. I mean, David was the greatest king of Israel and Judah. And of all the qualities he could have said, and you could think about that made David great, right? His, his great faith, his, his anointing to fight battles, and you know, his courage to destroy his enemies, and his wisdom, and to administrate the kingdom. Of all of those, he said, it's your gentleness that made me a great. It made me who I am. And that's quite something to meditate on and think about. That's what made him a great leader. And it, of course, as, as stones, that's not our natural state, right? Gentleness. Right? Our, 
we can be pretty pokey and have lots of angles and different things that don't make it nice to be it to rub up against or don't let us be put upon others and line up and bear, bear weight and so forth. And so we have to be shaped as those living, living stones to receive a heart of gentleness. And, and so, yeah, we can see how this happened in David's life. How did he become that gentle giant, you could say, of a king? Well, First Samuel 22 and verse 2. When he was in the wilderness running from Saul, everyone that was in distress and everyone in debt and everyone that was discontent and upset and angry at the way things were, they said, let's go join David. He'll be, he'll be in charge. He can take care of us. What a lovely thought, <laughs> being in the wilderness and having to find food and, you know, all that. But the Lord allowed David to be surrounded by many people who were not gentle, who had rough edges. And David had to lead them. And, but as David, as his, the leader, as he responded in gentleness, they shaped him. They made him into a great leader and a great king. It's amazing how God can orchestrate those situations in our lives. Just when you think, you know, well, I'm surrounded by good people and I've got friends and family and so forth. Oh, he can bring something in that shapes us and works in us. And we just, we don't want to respond in gentleness. But what makes the difference is our response. You know, like David, and we can make that our cry. Lord, I help. I want to respond in gentleness. I want your gentleness to make me great in your kingdom, to be a part of your temple, to be a living stone that can stand for eternity to fulfill what's pleasing your heart. And so the Lord is calling us today. He's calling us to come unto him and to be living stones to be a part of his spiritual house. And what's wonderful is that house endures for all eternity. As we're shaped in this life, so we will be carried into the next life, and that will determine where we're placed in his kingdom. Lord, shape me and get me ready, because I want to be in the place that you have pointed for me for eternity. Lord, make us fitly joined together that we can dwell together in unity in heaven. Let's ask him today to put that contrast within our hearts, within our lives, that our face would be set like a flint against anything that would deflect us from becoming those living stones towards anything within us or without, that we would have one desire to be a part of his glorious temple and that we would have that soft heart that his gentleness would transform us into something beautiful in his sight. And Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we just declare your plan and your ways are good. And Lord, we we ask that we might have that privilege as you've already invited us, you've, Lord, cleansed us, you've led us into that way, you've given everything for us that we could become a part of your temple. And so, Lord, we cry out to you, Lord, that you would make us today as those living stones. Lord, do that work within us. Lord, we just confess how sometimes we're soft where we need to be hard and we're hard where we need to be soft. And so, Lord, we just give our lives to you. Lord, we cry out to you that you would work and and move within us. Lord, set our face like a flint towards anything that would deflect us 
from being a part of your temple, O God. And Lord, just soften us. Make us gentle. Lord, we pray that your gentleness would make us great, Lord. In your kingdom, we ask. We just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.